every single marketer and every single brand should be attempting to earn a disproportionate share of conversation. If you work for an organization where they say, bring us a chart that goes up and to the right, you have a challenge. Half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. The trouble is, I don't know which half. I am here to inspire you, to excite you, to motivate you, to transform you, to energize you. Hello and welcome to Pipeline Visionaries. This episode features an interview with Shafka Islam, CMO at Optimizely. In this episode, Shafka shares his core company beliefs around marketing, the journey of cutting Optimizely's budget to zero and starting over, and how he and his team are getting scrappy and going back to the drawing board to start afresh with their marketing strategies. Shafka also gets transparent about what it's been like to be a first-time CMO and the advantages that presents him in his new role. But before we get into it, here's a brief word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Qualified. If you're a revenue team that runs your business on Salesforce, Qualified will accelerate your lead generation, pipeline, and ultimately revenue. Learn more at qualified.com. So please enjoy this interview between Shafka Islam, CMO at Optimizely, and your host, Ian Faison. Welcome to Pipeline Visionaries. I'm Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios. This show is always brought to you by Qualified. Go to qualified.com. They're the best. We love them dearly. For every single marketer out there, check out Qualified if you haven't yet. And today we are joined by a special guest, Shafkat, how are you? I'm doing great. Great to see you again. Yeah, great to see you again as well. I am super excited for this episode. We chatted years ago about marketing and oh, hasn't the marketing world changed? And we've never talked about it on Pipeline Visionaries. So excited to chat about Optimizely, about your background, little non-traditional background to be a CMO. And of course, we're going to talk content and demand. So what was your first job in marketing? Believe it or not, this is my first job in marketing, CMO. I'm not even joking. My background is I was a co-founder and CEO of a software company. Granted, I spent most of my time building products for marketers, so I was pretty deep into marketing, but I never had a marketing job per se. I was the CEO of the company. And then post-acquisition, once Optimize they acquired us, I was still running our old business, which was called Welcome. Previous to that, it was called Newscred. And been the CMO for six-ish months now. And what the heck does it mean to be CMO of Optimizely? It's a great question. I think Optimizely has a pretty legendary brand. We were talking about this earlier. Most marketers over the last 10 plus years have interacted or used Optimizely in some way. It was one of the first to ever kind of invent the category of A-B testing and A-B testing platforms. We have some amazing products. So I think it's a real privilege to be a CMO of this type of legendary company. It's a large company, much larger than I'm used to coming you know, from the startup world and being an entrepreneur and founder. We're 1,600 people. It's global. And we have an amazing kind of product portfolio, mainly geared towards marketers, but also digital teams and, and product folks as well. Let's get to our first segment, the trust tree. With the knowledge you've been given... You are now on the inside of what I like to call the circle of trust. What, I thought we were in the trust tree in the nest, are we not? Where we go and feel honest and trusted and you can share those deepest, darkest 
marketing and demand gen secrets. So yeah, tell us a little bit about more of what Optimizely does and who do you sell to? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Before I tell you what we do, I'll tell you kind of our three core beliefs. So if you'll indulge me, number one is I think a company's digital presence is potentially the most important product the company has. Number two is content is at the core of every customer experience. You and I both have content backgrounds, so we pretty aligned here. Yep. And the third is this belief that there's creativity and science required to really optimize and create these amazing experiences. And so with those three core beliefs, what Optimizely does is we have a number of different products where we help digital teams, both marketing and product teams, create and optimize customer experiences across web. So we help you create better content experiences. We have a CMS product, a CMP product, a DAM product. We help you experiment and A-B test on any channel. I think that's what Optimizely is fairly well known for, uh, especially in the U.S. and in the Bay Area. I think a lot of people didn't even know we have a CMS, but we have a very large CMS business. But experimentation and A-B testing is probably what we're most well known for. And thirdly, we help you monetize any of those customer interactions. We have a, a great commerce product as well. So it's a, it's a pretty broad portfolio of really amazing products. Yeah, what what are the what are the types of companies that are your customers size sure. and and scope? Yeah, it's a pretty wide spectrum. I'd say we skew more enterprise, so enterprise to large enterprise. Again, it depends on the products. We're global, so across the entire world, we service most industries. You know, and we work with some of the most amazing companies in the world, whether it's Nike to run experimentation for them, G Healthcare uses our CMP, our content marketing platform, and our DAM. We have amazing customers on our CMS, like Travelers or Dolby, Zoom. So really, some of the best and biggest and most ambitious brands in the world use us. But we also, you know, what I like about Optimizing is we we have an interesting mid-market business, too, of really high-growth companies and, and smaller companies that just have bigger ambitions and are more more mature. So it's a pretty wide swath. In terms of the persona mostly marketers and digital marketers, but because we have an experimentation product that can be used inside of your app or inside of a product, we do have product marketers as a persona too. In fact, we just went through a whole ICP exercise recently. So yeah. a very timely question. Yeah, indeed. And what's the, what's the breakdown for like B2B versus B2C? It's actually fairly split down the middle. Okay, We have B2C companies like little luxury fashion companies and we have industrial giants and manufacturing companies. So from the super sexy to the very boring, but very important businesses, I think we have a few thousand customers. So really it's touching almost every industry that you can think of. Yeah. And any, anyone else in that, in that buying committee or that's important to you, obviously, you know, layering up to the CMO, I'm sure important. Yeah. CMO is important for sure. We do have a lot of technical buyers because Again, you know, our experimentation product, while it can be used on the web and like simple A-B testing for landing pages, that's more of the marketing persona. But imagine you're a company like Venmo, a real customer of ours. It's, they're not really testing much on their website. Their core product is their app. And right to do testing inside of your app, to do feature flagging, to run experiments, you need to be aware that the buying committee in this case would include product managers, potentially engineers. And then because we do sell a pretty broad portfolio of products, having buy-in from the CIO is pretty important, especially 
in this economy as customers are starting to rationalize their tech stack and look at their costs, you know, a CIO is going to go through and say, all right, why are we working with so many vendors? And one of the be- benefits that we have is, you know, through one vendor relationship with Optimizer, you can buy your CMS, your experimentation, your commerce products, and your digital asset management, as an example. What's your marketing strategy? It's a big question. I'll say we tore apart the existing strategy this year when I took over. And we did something that, you know, whether it's some people call it zero-based budgeting, which is started with a completely blank slate. We also used kind of first principles approach. So really blank slate, both from a budget, but also what are the things that we do? And we then reformulated it from the ground up, starting with like every dollar and every initiative, every activity. And, you know, one of the things that we, I think, did pretty well is we started with our topmost business goal. So when I ask my CEO and our board, like, what are our business priorities? So we started with kind of six marketing big bets that are aligned to our business priorities. Mm-hmm. You know, as in, I'll give you some examples. One was get our swagger back in web experimentation. We used to be the absolute dominant player in that business, growing super fast. Now there's a lot of competition. I think we need to like regain some of that dominance. And so that's a, that's a priority for the business. So we have a big bet around that. Another big bet is more crystallized, like our messaging around our content products, because we have two or three content companies that we acquired, a CMP and a CMS, and it was kind of unclear to the market, how does this all fit together? And so Mm -hmm. our marketing priorities were tied to those business priorities. But it's at that point, it's still a little nebulous, like, you know, a marketer on the ground or an SDR, how do they attach to that? So then we created these integrated campaigns that ladder up to each one of those priorities. So those integrated campaigns, you know, when we're saying crystallize our message for content products is, hey, we have a really important plan and product strategy around headless and headless CMS, right? And we want to be known as a, a pioneer and kind of a leader in the headless space. And so we have a whole integrated campaign around headless. And then we have all these activities, events, out of home, webinars, emails around headless. So the activities ladder up to the integrated campaign with letters up to the bet. And so that kind of structured planning process, it sounds maybe a little bit over-engineered, but we did that for literally every single bet and every integrated campaign. So then all of a sudden, every single thing we do in our marketing felt more intentional and people had purpose, like it aligned up to that, those big bets. So that's kind of more on the strategic side. And remember, we we cut our budget back down to zero and built it up again. We stopped the approach of, hey, what did we do last year? And should we do this again this year or do more of it? Which is, I think, how most marketing teams work. You just, oh, we did events last year, so let's do more events. Or we did webinars, let's do more events and we mm-hmm. uh, more webinars. I just said, let's, I don't know if most of our marketing is working. If we shut down, I, I literally said this in our first all hands, which I don't know if made it made me popular or unpopular, but I said, hey, I have a hunch. If we stop and shut down all of our marketing activities, I don't think it would change our pipeline that dramatically or at all. And that's like, a, and some people may interpret that as insulting. Like, what do you mean? We're hundred and something people. Like, of course it would. But others thought of it as very freeing. They said, you know, all the stuff that we just do because we feel like we should do it and we feel like marketing teams should do it, we're now, the shackles are, are gone. 
we can start afresh and we can come up with all sorts of new ideas, some crazy, some wacky, some maybe repeats. So that's kind of what we've been up to in the last six months. Yeah, that's incredible. It's not to say that everything that you've done hasn't worked. And it's not to say that marketing is useless. It's to say that if you could hit the tear button and rebuild it, then what would you build? And that's like super exciting and, and, and freeing. And I think a lot of CMOs, when they come into a role, like they don't really have that ability to do that, or there's not the sort of intestinal fortitude of, of the organization to be able to do that. So it's absolutely fascinating. I have a I have a very supportive CEO and I think I'm just like this crazy founder guy so I'm I'm willing to do it. I think my the other thing is I'm not you know I'm not here to be a career CMO. I did this job and I'm doing this job because I was asked to and the company needed someone in this role and I want to do anything to help and so I'm able to take a little bit more risk and to your point it's, I'm absolutely not saying the stuff before didn't work. I'm just saying there's probably a lot of things that didn't work and some things that did in all things in life. That's probably true. So let's just take the learnings and focus on the things that did work. And then for the things that didn't work, let's run more experiments and there's going to be more failures and that's okay, but let's run with it and learn. Yeah. So as part of that, I'd imagine that there has to be a reorg or a reimagining of the org if there's going to be a reimagining of all of the priorities. Ooh. So how do you th how did you think about team? We made some major changes. And what we did when I came in, and this was absolutely not the plan. Some of it happened organically. Some of it was intentional. Some of it was like we just looked at performance and, and also just looked at what's the type and culture of marketing that we want to do here. You know, we wanted to get a lot scrappier, a lot more entrepreneurial, mm. a lot cheaper, like spend a lot less money, even though we have big budgets. And it just requires a different type of person, right? And so, yeah. as I mentioned, sometimes some people opted out. Some were encouraged to find, you know, a better fit somewhere else. And the entire leadership team in our marketing org turned over very quickly. And I had the opportunity, and I think this was probably the most exciting part about this job, is to promote the layer of management that was like one layer under the, the existing MLT. MLT is marketing leadership team. So they all left and all the people who were doing the job one level below got promoted into the new marketing leadership team and they've absolutely crushed it. Like I'm so proud of them because they were just waiting in the wings to take on more responsibility, get shit done, prove that we can run a very different type of scrappy marketing organization. And sometimes you just need like a, a little bit of luck and an opportunity and they've really stepped up and as I mentioned, it's not necessarily right or wrong. It's just the only way I know how to build something is like it's a very scrappy, agile, like test stuff, break stuff. I would describe them as like mavericks. And I had all of these folks on our team who were mavericks who just needed the opportunity. So that's my new leadership team. And I love kind of working with them. Yeah, I think it's also, that's super fascinating. I think it's also, I think it's really different marketing to marketers as we both have done in our careers. And as what a marketer is looking for in solutions is just very different from what a CFO is looking for, right? So it's totally. like the way that you go to market to marketers is just very different. And if you want to have a sort of, and I'm not saying that this was the case, but if you want to have a more legacy mindset, then you need to be selling to 
types of people who would receive that. So it's interesting that you say all that because, I mean, I always think that being at the cutting edge is and it's why we make this show literally is to be at the cutting edge and to talk to the people who are doing stuff right now, to know what they're doing right now, to see the playbook right now. So I always yeah. want to know that. Yeah. The plays that are working today. And honestly, like the, the people who were here before, they're amazing and potentially are going to be very successful marketers, but maybe in a different size company with a different style marketing playbook, marketing to different people. One thing when you're marketing to marketers is we get so much marketing messaging thrown our way, yeah. emails, SDRs, cold calls, ads, like we tune out most of it, right? So in one hand, it's so fun. We get to market to marketers. On the other hand, it's pretty brutal because there's thousands of companies marketing to marketers. I get hundreds of emails a day that I never open. I'll give you an example. We decided in order to market to marketers, we better not have any sort of jargon in our marketing messaging. And we're still doing work to clean it up. But I always tell my team, let's write like how we speak. When we speak to each other, we speak like normal human beings. But somehow when we write copy for a website, it sounds like a robot wrote it and no human would ever say those words. So let's stop doing that. That's just one example of like, I think what marketing needs to be going forward, at least for us. And a lot of it is the culture that we have as people. I think that should be reflected in the marketing that we do. So how do you organize the org chart? So we, we have similar structure to a lot of marketing teams in that, you know, I have someone who runs digital. I have someone who runs my field marketing team. I, I, and we have a field marketing team because I have a global team, right? We operate in so many different markets. We have field marketers in all over. We have, you know, our head of SDR. So the SDR org reports into me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's not always the case, but I like it because it creates really tight alignment. So marketing campaign doesn't end or marketing event doesn't end when the event ends. We are totally aligned to make sure the follow-up is crisp. It's within 24 hours and the SDRs have the right messaging. So I think it creates good alignment having it within SDR, the org within marketing. We have... Let's see our corporate kind of event marketing team as well. Who am I I missing? Product marketing is a key, key function within my team. And I have customer marketing within product marketing. And I think that's really important because customer marketing is not just like organizing customer events, but it's really driving adoption, cross-sell and upsell from our existing base. And in this kind of 2023, we're driving a lot of demand pipeline from our existing base. So that customer marketing team tightly aligned with the product marketing team to drive that cross-sell and upsell as a key component of, of my team. And I actually, to me, customer marketing and product marketing, they're as responsible for generating demand. You'll notice I don't have a separate person whose title is like demand gen, which mm-hmm. I think is obviously very common because I said everyone's, everyone's demand gen. Like every single person on my team is demand gen. If you're organizing Opticon, which is our flagship kind of brand conference, if you're on, if you're creating content, if you're on the product marketing team, if you're digital, like you, everyone better be thinking about how you're generating demand for this business. Yeah. I mean, I think it's all about pipeline, right? It's like, it could be super early stage. It could be, I'm not ready to buy for two years, but when this, when I'm ready two years from now, like I'm going to be talking to someone or the person who says scorch and hot lead, like, I want this right now, send me a proposal. Like at the end of the day, it's all about pipeline and B2B whoever you are. And I totally agree. The other thing we did kind of specifically that's different is I've 
reoriented marketing goals around the entire company's pipeline, not just like marketing source pipeline. I think mm-hmm. kind of the traditional playbook was like marketing sources, whatever, 40% of overall pipeline. And that's what we're KPI towards. I think it's interesting to measure marketing source pipeline. I don't really care, frankly. All I care about is, are we generating enough pipeline as a business across marketing, SDRs, AEs, CSMs, partners? Those are the five people who contribute to pipeline. And so the overall pipeline is the thing that we should all care about. And for my marketing team, that was a big shift too. Like prior, they were very kind of myopically focused on marketing source pipeline only. And yeah. now I've said, let's we're, it's an all-company sport and we're all responsible for that same kind of bigger pipeline number. Yeah. I mean, again, these are things that are like so obvious now that like we've all been through the past few years, but it's like, Hey, if you bring in a deal that churns versus a deal that decides to buy more stuff from us, those two things are not created equal, right? Like, you know, like customer journey is actually super important. ACV is super important. The type of accounts that you go after that can produce the best ACV yep. and produce the longest and like the longest LTV, like those are all super valuable. So like we shouldn't just view like in MQL, of course, it's a super flawed statistic because does that MQL have all of those traits and how many different pieces of content do they tell? I mean, it's so, so much more dynamic than it was five years ago. You're abs- you're absolutely right. Which is why like the MQL is almost to me it's irrelevant. There's people who care about it in their in their role specifically because they are trying to drive kind of at the way top of the funnel. But I care about this stuff become an opportunity. But to your point, if you really think about lifetime value, then you have to think about what type of opportunity, what product is it. Yep. What industry is it? What persona? What what size of company? And all those things will drive some sort of predicted retention rate. And you're right. But I, I think now we're stretching marketing past where it's traditionally been. I would say that for the listeners of this podcast who's, who's listened to 100 CMOs and marketing leaders talk about this stuff that, you know, I would say like the majority own SDRs now. I would say the majority of them are tied to a pipeline number. I'd say the majority of them are, you know, in B2B are doing some type of account-based experience. Mm -hmm. I'd say the majority of them are owning a piece of customer marketing or upsell or journey. Like Mm -hmm. it's all moving that way. And I would also add that there's one other piece that we've talked about a bunch on the show of like the chief marketing officer being the chief market officer, that like, this is the person who actually understands the market better than anyone else in the company. And like that part is really exciting to me yeah. as a marketer where it's where like who else would own it, right? Yeah, I think I have a distinct privilege as well because we sell a lot to marketers and I'm a CMO. Being the chief market officer means I get to work closely with product as well. Yeah, I spend a huge amount of time with product. We actually use all of our products. So I'm the alpha or beta customer for every single product we put out. We give a lot of feedback to try and help shape the right product roadmap. And I think that's another area that CMOs can contribute to the business overall. All right, let's get to our next segment, the playbook. This is what's great about sports. This is what the greatest thing about sports is. You play to win the game. Hello? You play to win the game. 
where you open up that playbook and talk about how you're spending that money, the tactics that help you win. What are your three channels or tactics that are your uncuttable budget items? I know it's all brand new for you right now, but what's uncuttable to you? To me, anything that's measurable is uncuttable. Anything that's not measurable is cuttable. So it's pretty pretty straightforward. Obviously, things like paid for us is very measurable and very attributable. To me, we've, we've been aggressive in terms of paid. I'll give you an example. Google Optimize, which is an A-B testing product that's free from Google, has always been a competitor. They were the largest in market share because it's free. We were second. They're shutting down. They have a sunset date. I think it's in the fall. I know I have a tight time horizon. And we are just stepping to the pedal to the floor yeah. super aggressively because we can just measure every single detail of how we're spending money. So like, I think that's an obvious one. For me, events has always been not cuttable or uncuttable. I forgot what word you used. Yeah. Because to me, events are very measurable. I can track every single person that walk through the door and whether they were sourced at the event or influenced or accelerated, you know, by the event, I can track all of that directly back to pipeline and can show the ROI of every dollar I spend on events. And to me, some companies are like cutting back on events. We're actually going bigger in events. So we're going to have a bigger Opticon. We're doing road shows. It's been really good for us. I'm going to throw in not necessarily my third most uncuttable one, but I want to throw in an unorthodox one that we are doing. So I don't know if it's going to make it long term or not, but out of home, which most people are shocked as like me from my personality and like my DNA of CMO that I'm doing out of home. But I'll tell you why, you know, yes, I'm obsessed about numbers and tracking like every single cost per MQL and cost per op for every channel. And I obsess over that kind of stuff. And out of home is inherently hard to measure. Like they'll tell you, you can measure it this way and that way, but really it's hard. But two reasons that I'm investing aggressively or at least pseudo aggressively. And I'll tell you what that means in a second. Number one is when everyone pulls back and everyone says, Oh, we're not doing X anymore. Then I'm interested. My brain just like switches on. I'm like, Oh, now I'm going to dig into it because a few years ago, you go down the 101 in San Fran or any, any subway, it's plastered with every SaaS company's ads, right? Mm-hmm. Now, the economy, since 2022, the economy's tough, layoffs, people are not spending, marketing budgets are getting slashed, everyone's pulling back. And one of the first things you pull back on is like that type of out-of-home spend. And so we've just figured out really creative and scrappy ways to like buy direct, buy programmatically, get like inventory that you would never imagine we would be able to get at the types of prices we're able to do. We're doing it all in-house. We're not going through tons of agencies. So we kind of figured out this really scrappy way to do out of home. And when you know everyone's pulling back, we think there's an opportunity to like lean in. And the second thing is I've pulled the lever very hard in terms of moving dollars from brand to demand because we had to get scrappy this year just mm-hmm. because of scrutiny of every dollar that we spend in this business. And I'm obsessed about kind of sales and marketing efficiency as a ratio to bookings. And at some point, I just realized that when you pull the lever that hard, you have to be really careful because things look good in the very short term, but your brand is your most precious asset that we have yep. long term. I'm curious, how do you do attribution? Let's start with in general. 
I think the first thing I told my team is don't obsess over like getting the perfect multi-touch attribution model because otherwise we'll just spend six months, 12 months in like meetings and building stuff. And then we're going to say it didn't work and scratch it and start again. So <laughs> yeah, we have, Sounds you know, right. we have, yeah. And I, you know, we have obviously, and when we look at our BI tools, so we use power BI, we, and we have all of our kind of Marketo and Salesforce data and data from other tools all, kind of aggregated in our dashboards in Power BI. And we have very basic first and last touch attribution models there and uh, influence model. And all I care about is, are we intentional about what we're doing? So mm-hmm. if we are going to an event or if we're organizing an event, are we intentional about, hey, this event is really for prospects that are already in the funnel. There are already opportunities created. So really this is an acceleration play. Sure. Versus, hey, this is an event in a in a in a territory where we have no customers, we don't really know anyone, and we're inviting net new through SDR outreach, and it's a totally different type of event where we would expect first touch attribution to be impacted versus you know the previous one. It's really an influence model, and so just just knowing that and being intentional, I think is the key. I also realize like. Optimizely has, has massive brand power. We get so much organic and inbound traffic, but it's very easy for us to say, oh, everything is inbound and everything is contact us, right? Because that's like the number one channel by which someone like enters our pipeline, especially if you look at opportunity, where did we source most of our opportunities? Someone fills out the contact us form. And we have massive amounts of this. We're very lucky as a company. But I know like, Someone, most people didn't just wake up one day, go to optimizing.com, go to our contact us page and then fill out a form. Like they obviously saw that out of home ad or went and sat through a webinar down a read 18 pieces of content and then eventually decided they have a pain. And so just rather than try and attribute like, okay, they're, they observed or they read 10 pieces of content on the journey towards becoming a lead and then try and like give a hundred dollars to each piece of content. Like, yeah. I don't try and do that. What I do is I hold my t- content team accountable and say, Hey, is the content that you're creating, is it being read on the path to someone being becoming an opportunity? If your pool is big enough, I think ultimately this is one of those things that over the longer term, I'll be able to measure kind of how it impacts my all my other demand channels. But there is one thing that we are going to do. We're going to re-amplify that out of home massively on digital and social Yep. to make it seem and feel like we're a much bigger company, right? And spending millions and millions of dollars and not necessarily kind of the budget that we are spending. And I think we'll get a lot more mileage out of that out of home on digital channels. One thing before we get to our last segment here is funny that you started with saying like, you know, obviously we're going to be scrappy and we're going to try to, you know, do more. You didn't say do more with us, so I shouldn't say that, but that we're going to be scrappy. And then you, the first thing you listed was paid, which is like the least scrappy thing you can do is, is spend a bunch of money on paid. And obviously that's a brilliant example of like this, this like golden opportunity that you have coming up of like, this is the most perfect yeah. opportunity for pay no one else is doing it yeah and and same with out of home no one else is doing it i think it kind of goes without saying to be to be frank like we have this massive inbound engine that 
on a weighted basis brings down our cost per MQL and cost per opportunity, right? We get so much inbound traffic, content, SEO, like we get content and SEO works really hard for us. I'm hoping by now your listeners all have some sort of content marketing program and a content engine and have, uh, and maybe they don't, if they don't, they should start there. I think you have to earn the right to do paid. You have to earn the right to do out of home. I'll give you an example. Like we, this year, we're going to spend $7 million less in program relative to last year or like 30-ish percent less, 40% less. So we're spending 30% less on a cost per MQL or cost per op basis. And that's like we had a target that we set that was already aggressive and we're beating that. And we're generating kind of 30% more pipeline with that lower spend. And what that does is it allows you permission to spend try these new channels to try aggressive new paid channels to try out of home to try whatever podcast advertising that maybe we wouldn't have tried before so to me it's like you got to get the base you got to nail the basics and be a very efficient marketing team before you can start spending well speaking of podcast advertising boy do i have a great (laughs) opportunity for our listeners you should go to qualified.com because qualified helps companies generate pipeline faster you know this if you've been listening to the show because they've been with us since the very beginning and we love Qualified dearly. And all of, this, all of this content is on Qualified Plus where they have all sorts of great content. We're actually just an organic plug. We are, we're switching to Qualified right now. I had no idea they were your title sponsor, but it's a good well, product. Look at that. Shof, that's at just, that. it's, it's serendipity. That's great. They're the best. Well, you know they're the best because you're going to switch over. Now your pipeline really is going to skyrocket. I hope so. That's what I was promised. Oh, I, you know what? I can promise it as well. Every, it's like everybody. I mean, everybody who we ever hear switch to qualified, they're like, this is the best thing ever. So I don't just say it. I believe it. Quick hits. Quick questions, quick answers. Shaf, are you ready? Born ready. Let's go. Do you have a hidden talent or skill that's not on your resume? Ooh, I was a DJ for a long time. Hip hop DJ, old school hip hop only. DJ, what is your DJ name? I just used my name, my real name. It was really boring, but well, you have a cool the music name. was dope. Yeah, that's true. People probably thought I made it up. Yeah, they probably did. Do you have a favorite book, podcast, TV show that you're checking out that you recommend? I'll just, recency bias, I'm going to go with the show, The Bear. It's about a restaurant in Chicago. It's amazing. And the reason why I love it is I have a little side hustle, just opened a restaurant and a bar. I know nothing about those two, but... I'm learning a lot from the bear and reading a lot of books about it. Oh, good luck. That's awesome. What would be your best piece of advice for a first-time CMO trying to figure out their marketing strategy? Well, that's me. So I would say don't feel obligated to hold on to the way things were working in the past. Start with kind of first principles approach, break things, zero-based budgeting, be really ready to try stuff and experiment and know that a lot of the stuff's not going to, not going to work. So um, I'd say like break things, like move fast, break a bunch of stuff. And I think, Oh, one other advice I'll give, don't market your marketing. To me, that's like a really important one. I told my entire marketing team, if we're successful, the company will know because bookings, is going to go up. Sales are going to go up. We're going to be successful as a company. We don't need to sit there and say, like, look at our marketing. It's so good. Like, everything's working. Everything's great. Make fancy PowerPoint decks. Like, we don't make any decks anymore. That's funny because 
That is definitely something that I think some CMOs would disagree with you on. That's fun. Oh, yeah. That's for a good sure. one. Chuff, this has been awesome. Thanks so much for our listeners. You can go to optimizely.com. You know, obviously everyone's heard of Optimizely, but if you need a CMS, if you need a content marketing platform, if you want to do some A-B testing, experimentation, monetization, all that stuff, go to optimizely.com. Nailed yeah, it. Anyth- Nailed it. Hey, you know, I try. Any final thoughts? Anything to plug? No, I think we have an amazing, amazing company and amazing brand, but there's a lot of great products that people don't know that we're in in those categories and we're leaders. So go check it out. Give me some feedback on our marketing if you ever want. You can fill out the contact us form and just be like, hey, Shav, here's some feedback for your marketing. That's perfect. I'll give you some feedback. I, I mean, I, I think your stuff's great. So, you know, there's there's my, I love the website. I think it's, I think it's pretty slick and I'm sure you're got a huge website rebuild plan ready too. No, no, it's good. It has this, uh, there's this little smiley face with sunglasses in the top right. If you click on it, you go into dark mode. It's kind of a nice, nice little Easter egg. That is fun. I did notice that. Cool. Thanks so much. And uh, we'll talk soon. Enjoyed it. Thank you. Thanks again to our friends at qualified.com, a conversational sales and marketing platform that transforms the way B2B companies sell. Go to qualified.com to learn more.